Good morning, church. Yeah, thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Happy New Year. People awake? Yeah? Stayed up late last night? Whew, New Year's. You know, I'm not, I'm not one for making resolutions, but I do think it's a very natural time to reflect on your life. The end of a year, the beginning of another year, it's a great time to reflect on your life, what's coming ahead and what lies behind. You know, recently I was reflecting on my life and I was thinking about the painful moments in my life. I realized consistently for me some of the most painful moments in my life were watching friends walk through apostasy. Someone who used to sit and pray with me. Or someone I used to stand next to and sing songs like we just did and I could hear their voice singing louder than most. People who I thought I would walk to the very end with. But instead they walked away from God and rejected him. You know, in particular, I I was reflecting, I I had a really close-knit group of friends when I first became a believer and we were passionate. But many of them no longer would say they're followers of Jesus at all. None of it was sudden. Instead, it was months and years of drifting away, a slow hardening of hearts. And looking back on that time of my life, I often feel deep regret. See, I I had drifted away from many of those friends in my life before they went through those seasons of doubt. I started attending another church, and I got deeply involved in a new community. And and part of it was just a natural transition in my life. But in reality, another part of it was I was just being a really bad friend. It breaks my heart to know that while some of the closest friends I've ever had in my entire life, while they walked through hard things, I wasn't there for them at all. It pains me even this morning to think that some of the most wonderful, intelligent, creative people who I still think the world of would likely not want to talk to me today at all. Looking back on that season, I wish I knew what I knew now. As their hearts became increasingly hard towards God, I wish I, wish I was there and I wish I had cried out, wake up. I wish I was with them and I wish I pleaded with them but not just one time, not just one time to go and, and say I was faithful, I told them, I see something I'm concerned about. No, but, but a consistent sitting with them walking through it. I wish I was there for them over and over again. I wish I had said something day after day to encourage and exhort them. I wish I said, wake up. And when I think back on that time of my life and that painful mistakes that I made, I I don't ever want to make them again. I want to be the kind of faithful that doesn't just say something, but the kind of faithful that says it over and over again. You know, Chris asked me to to ask the Lord what was on my heart for the church uh, for this Sunday. And and I landed in Hebrews chapter 3. And as you probably can tell from the tone even of the introduction, this is, this, there's a weight to today. There's a weight to the sermon today. And, 
and this past week, I, I don't know what it's been, but I've just had a very difficult time getting sleep. Not just because staying up late last night. But I've just been having a hard time getting sleep, and, and I just feel weak this morning. And I had the strange thought this morning uh, as I was praying for the sermon. Uh, and, and this might sound defeatist. It's not at all. It's actually built my faith up. I had the thought that, that practically, technically, in, in my delivery, this might be one of the worst sermons I ever preach. And then immediately the thought, but it might be one of the most important ones. So brothers and sisters, can you lean into Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 and 15 with me? I'm going to read the word of God. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. You know, what came before the verses, these select verses in, in, in the book of Hebrews? What came before it? Well, the writer of Hebrews had been making a point. The salvation we have received through Jesus is greater than the salvation Israel received from, through Moses. The covenant, the promises we have in Jesus are far greater than those given through Moses. Moses was a servant. Jesus is a son. And the writer isn't negating the past. He's not saying that doesn't matter anymore or it wasn't God's salvation. He's not negating the past. He's saying something far more important and better is here now. And why is the writer making this point? Because he's building up to a warning. One that I believe as a local church we need to take to heart this year. we are about to discover that there are lessons to learn from Israel during their time in the wilderness. And the question this morning is, will we learn it and respond wisely? Verse 7 starts off like this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. See, our, our passage begins with this very simple phrase. What follows is a quotation from Psalm 95, but before Psalm 95 comes the phrase, as the Holy Spirit says. This is important because the author of Hebrews is emphasizing that although David wrote and was responsible for writing those verses down, it was spoken by the Holy Spirit. It's a tension we find throughout all of Scripture where men and women are responsible for things, but God is the one who accomplishes it. David wrote Psalm 95. The Holy Spirit says it. 
And that's the second thing I want you to notice this morning. It's not that the Holy Spirit said it long ago. See, the Hebrew writer chose the present tense. He's saying the the Holy Spirit says this. Church, do you desire to hear the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Do you want to know what the Spirit is saying today? Be confident when you pick up the Bible that you are reading the very words of God spoken for you today. And what weight does that add to the following words in our passage? Because it says the Holy Spirit says, today. Today. The Holy Spirit is speaking, and the Holy Spirit is speaking about this morning right now. Today, church. Today, January 1st, 2023, the Holy Spirit is talking to us. Today what? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Thus saith the Holy Spirit. Church, let's lean into what God is saying to us this morning. So what is this passage talking about? What are the events spoken about here? What lessons can we learn right now from the Israelites, Israelites during their time in the desert? It's important that I point out right now The hardened hearts of the Israelites that's spoken of in our passage. See, right after the verses I selected is is verse 19. It summarizes all of their hardening of their hearts and going astray as unbelief. See, see, their, their hardened hearts was because their hearts were unbelieving. They couldn't enter God's rest because of it. It's astounding when you think of that. How could they not believe? Let me put some context to that. The Israelites were enslaved people living in Egypt. God placed his favor upon them and called them out of captivity. How did he do that? With signs and wonders. God sends Moses and through him he displays ten plagues that devastate Egypt. So much so that when the Egyptians finally let the Israelites go, they give them their gold and their silver and their goods. It's like, hey, hey, take whatever you need, just leave us, please. And the Israelites go out into the wilderness, and, and God, uh, and it, it, the Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and, and he goes after them. He gathers his military, and he chases after the Israelites. And I want you to picture it with me this morning. There are the Israelites, and, and they're fleeing, and, and they're trapped between the Red Sea and an encroaching Egyptian army. And they look back, and I want you to think about it. They had their children there. And they're looking back, and they're wondering, are we going to be oppressed again? Was all of this for naught? Are those chariots going to run over our children? Are they coming to kill us? And there was a pillar of smoke by them, and it moved between them and Egypt. It says it was about nightfall, and the pillar turned to a pillar of fire. They turn, they look, and the Red Sea begins to spread open wide. And they walk safely through it. 
The pillar moves out of the way. The Egyptians pursue them and they get stuck in the mud and they get confused. And God releases the waters and crushes the Egyptian military. The nation rejoices. Moses sings a song. The start of this story is so spectacular. It's incredible. They, they see the glory of God. They see his might and his power. They see God fighting for them. But what we see soon in Scripture and often in our hearts, that time plus hardship equals rebellion. Just a chapter later, the people are crying out for food. Not in faith, but in unbelief. And God provides manna and quail. The chapter after that, they're crying out in thirst, and God has Moses strike a a rock, and water comes from it. And then Exodus 17, 7 says, And he, that is Moses, called the name of that place Massa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Do you hear that? I mean, they're... The Lord fought for them. It's, it, he, he, he delivered them. He, he took them out of slavery. He's providing for them. And they're asking the question, is God here or not? Massa means testing and Meribah means strife, contention, or rebellion. Who is being tested? It's not the Israelites. It's God. These words mirror our passage today. Our passage says, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test. See, the people of Israel begin a pattern in the wilderness where they rebel. They they have strife with God, and they put him to the test. This continues and culminates when I believe in Numbers chapter 13 through 14. But before I summarize those chapters... I think there's the first lesson we can learn from the Israelites here. It's this. Unbelief can creep into our hearts, even if all we need to do is turn our head to see the glory of God. Unbelief can creep into a heart, even if they're in the proximity of the presence of God. They literally had the presence of God following them through the wilderness and smoke and fire. They had quail and manna delivered every day. They saw the glow of Moses' face as he left the tent of meeting. They saw the holy mountain shake with peals of thunder and violent fire. It was always right there before them, but their hearts grew hard and they fell into unbelief. Brothers and sisters, is unbelief creeping into your heart? See, the Israelites could always turn and look at the presence of God with them, but that wasn't enough. They, they took God for granted. Of course, of course he's always there. And they continued in their life, and their hearts grew harder and harder and harder until one day they were able to look at that pillar of fire and not be knocked down in a sense of awe and wonder, but look at it and say, how mundane. Maybe they thought things like, yeah, he's there, but he's never there for me in the ways I need him. What was once spectacular and transcendent to them became plain and boring and commonplace. Maybe in their hearts, that pillar of fire became less and less the presence of God and more of just a curiosity. 
Sometimes you can read the Old Testament and you can hear things like this and you just, it's, it's hard to believe. Right? I mean, that, that's God's presence right there. They look at that and that becomes mundane and boring. Brothers and sisters, has the word of God become boring to you? Is, is prayer, is prayer commonplace? Is gathering in the assembly of God's blood-bought people something that is unspectacular to you? Do you remember when you used to read the Bible and it burned in your heart? You remember feeling this expectation coming to church that, that anything could happen today? God is alive, and he's all-powerful, and he's here with his people. Anything could happen. You remember that excitement to go and gather with other believers, not at a church meeting, but in your free time to go pray? We're going to talk to the living God. Is it possible that unbelief is creeping into our hearts? as you felt your heart grow colder and harder, and I'm not talking to everyone, but, but have you sometimes comforted yourself with the thought that I could just turn and look to God if I need to? Yeah, I, I know things aren't like they used to be. I know my heart's getting a little harder. I know it's a little colder. I feel less of the passion for God's presence, but I could always go read the Bible. I can do it another time, or I could pray. I could pray if I needed to. And that always turns into tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. And eventually one day you finally go to the word of God and you read it and you find it boring. Or you pray and you say, I, I don't feel God's presence. What's up with that? I'm praying, aren't I? Why is he not moving right now? Brothers and sisters, that's you, what I wish I said to my friends long ago. Wake up. Something is wrong. Wake up. I'm pleading with you. What happens in Numbers chapter 13 through 14? Well, the people of God finally arrive at the promised land. They send out 12 spies to go look at the land and come back after 40 days. Two of the spies report back with faith. God is with us. Let us go and take the land. This is what he promised. But the other ten cry out in fear and unbelief. The inhabitants are too strong. They are like giants. We will perish. Joshua and Caleb, the two spies who had faith, they tore their clothing and they pleaded with the nation of Israel, we must believe God. This is what he told us he would do. He would give us this land. Let us go and take it and believe that God is with us. And the people cry out against God. They're so whipped up into a fury that there's talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb for being people filled with faith. And people cry out against God and they propose anointing a new leader. And they even say, let's go back to Egypt. These are the people, they saw the Passover. 
the pillar of fire, the holy mountain, the provision of food and clothing, the power of God again and again, and yet they couldn't believe God for the land. The people rebel, God is tested, and the punishment for this unbelief is that they will wander the desert for 40 years. And, and, and of those who were over the age of 20 at the time of Exodus, only two of them will enter into the promised land. The rest of them die in the wilderness. Church, will you consider this lesson from Israel with me? It's possible to start well and end poorly. It's possible to start well and end poorly. Now, I don't want to call into question anyone's salvation. I firmly believe that God will never lose any of those that are his own. That God starts and he completes salvation. But like we point out at the beginning of this passage, David was responsible to write Psalm 95, but God was the one who said it. So how does that apply here? God is the author of your salvation, and yet there's a tension in Scripture. Philippians 2.13 says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We are to work out our faith, and yet God does the work in us. Scripture is filled with this mystery. God is sovereign over everything, and yet we are still responsible. So we must press on. We must persevere to the end with faith. And some this morning, they need to hear comfort this morning. We all walk through times of doubt, and we need to hear powerful words. Powerful words like this. God will never let you go. He will never let you go. But those are words for people who who want God. They they don't want to let go. They, They have faith. It might be very, very small right now. It might be weak faith. You might have just a little bit of faith left. You just, it might be like a little flame about to go out. But you want God. You you need God. You acknowledge he's there. You say, Lord, help me. And you need to feel the breath of God say, I am always here. I will never let you go. But there's another category. And I've been in this place too. We feel little to nothing for God. And we feel little to no fear or urgency about it. Maybe at times it rises up. You say, wow, something's different. Something's wrong. I'm growing colder. I feel less and less affection towards my God. And and it rises up. Maybe you have a panicked moment about it. But if you push it down long enough, you can become complacent again. And so you do. Maybe, maybe your household started as one that was going to honor God, but, but you and your spouse have fallen into a routine. Maybe your friends were passionate about glorifying God together once before, but but now your faith rarely ever comes up when you're together. Maybe you stopped leading your family a long time ago. Maybe, if you're honest, you functionally stopped worshiping Jesus on any other day than Sunday. 
Brothers and sisters, no self-righteousness. I, I, I plead with you. I've been there. And I want to be faithful. Wake up. Wake up. You, never, you ever notice that when we talk about faith, we often talk about our conversion stories? That's good. I, I don't want to belittle our experiences at conversion. I believe in Christ as we did, and we turn away from our sinful patterns. Right? It's an exciting moment in our life. Our, our fresh faith, and we say, I'm going to turn away from this. And, and a lot of people have testimonies of turning away from addictions. People have testimonies of turning away from patterns of sinful behavior. And, and, and we have this new fresh passion for God, a hunger for his word, a desire to pray and gather with the church. We use our gifts and we serve one another. We, we share the gospel with people. You know, you, you remember a time in your life where, where you couldn't be in a conversation with someone for more than 10 minutes without just out of your heart, just returning to your true love, Jesus. You just felt like you had to bring them up. You wanted to talk about them. And those are powerful powerful stories. We love to talk about our exodus moment from sin, but, but what of your faith today? Where are the stories of faith today? Where are the stories of belief this week? Where are the stories this week of turning away from a sin and saying, no, I don't want that. I want the Lord. Where are the, where are the times of gathering together and saying, brother, sister, let us worship the Lord together. I want him, do you? Church, what we're learning from Israel is that our Exodus story is not enough. We have to have faith today. Am I talking to young adults in our church? Absolutely. Brothers, sisters, let's wake up together. Am I talking to the first generation of this church? Yeah. Brothers, sisters, let's wake up together. You know, as I was writing this part of the sermon, I couldn't escape the sense this morning that the Lord had something to say to, to the first generation and, and those who came just after them. Those, those who raised kids up in this church. You've been here for a long time. And you've seen this church in different seasons. And I want you to know, I stand on your shoulders this morning. God used you to build this expression of his church. And I'm thankful for it. My children are in Truthcrest right now. I'm raising my family here. On the foundation that you guys have laid. You guys have served here, you've loved here, you've walked through good and bad times here. And your faith has been exciting, and you've had rich friendships. And you might be tempted to believe that the best seasons of your faith are behind you. You might be tempted to believe that the best of your faith is behind you. It happened in the past. It was exciting then, things were happening, we were together, there was passion. And I need you to hear this morning, that's not true. God was not done with Abraham. He wasn't through with Sarah. 
Simeon and Anna as they waited in the temple year after year. They didn't wait in that temple because they believed the best of their faith was behind them. They waited because they believed that they were going to see Jesus face to face. Brothers and sisters, wake up. This church needs you. It doesn't need your effort. It doesn't need your work. It needs us having faith together. An expectation that God is here with us this morning. And he's with you as you go. He's in your living room and in your bedroom. He's there when you open up your word. He's there when you pray. Or maybe you're disillusioned. Because, because it was great times, but, but maybe your children have left the faith since then. Maybe you've gone through a lot of seasons that were difficult. Maybe life has knocked you around. Maybe you feel a sense of, I'm wiser now. Less of those highs and lows, more even keeled. Brothers and sisters, that is... It's hard to walk through those things. And what happens as we do is that our hearts can become harder and harder. And I know what I'm asking you to do is incredibly, incredibly painful. But every single one of us this morning, no matter where you're at, we need to reach into our chests. We need to pull out the rock that is forming there. And we need to let it bend and break beneath the weight of God's love. And it's vulnerable and it hurts, but at least our faith is beating and alive. At your life, church, let's wake up. Let's have faith this year. The Exodus moment is not enough for us today. We need faith now. So what do we do? Look at verses 12 through 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Notice the words, take care. This isn't something that you'll just stumble into, all right? You won't just accidentally walk through this life avoiding an unbelieving heart. It doesn't happen. We need to be alert. We need to take care. I remember being in Boy Scouts. I think it was 12. It might be 13. It's just when you start Boy Scouts. And, and I, I just gotten what's called the totem chip. Does anyone know what that is? Yeah, I got my totem chip. I, it's a certification that means that I'm allowed now, in front of my peers and the adults, I'm allowed to use wood tools, right? I'm allowed to use a saw. I can use a hatchet or an axe. I could, I could use a pocket knife. Oh, boy. So I, theoretically, you get your totem chip, and, and you know how to be safe. But we were young boys, and we wanted to destroy things. And they just gave us sharp objects. It was summer camp, and I was there with my friend. We were, we were bunking together in the same tent. And one night I went back to my tent, and my friend wasn't there. I waited a little while, and he didn't return. So I got up, and I went to one of the adults. The adult informed me that my friend had an accident. 
and he's in the hospital. What happened? Well, he was swinging a hatchet at a log, and he didn't check the log first. So little did he know the log that he was swinging at was rotted all the way through. So he took that hatchet, and he swung and went right through the log and right into his shin. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a little twisted. Ever since that day, I have taken care around wood tools. Right? Theoretically, I knew how to do that before. Theoretically, I knew there was a danger, but now I knew there was a danger. Church, let's not wait for a disaster moment for us to heed the words of Scripture. It says, take care. Oh, church, let us take care that no brother or sister, lest there be any of us an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Let's take this out of our theory. Let's take this out of hypotheticals. Let us take the word of God seriously this morning. The Holy Spirit is saying this to us today. Metro Life Church, brothers and sisters here hearing the word of God, take care. So what do we do this morning? First, let's take an audit. Let's take a moment to really evaluate. Where is your heart going? And what is the air you're breathing? So where is your heart going this morning? Is it moving towards unbelief? Or is it moving towards belief? Is it hardening in life? Or is it becoming softer? I'm very serious this morning. Let's, let's really consider, is my heart growing softer? Is it growing in faith? And church, what is the air we're breathing day in and day out? How is it affecting your heart and the hearts of those around you? Well, to answer these questions, let's take one final lesson from the Israelites. Their, their hearts were hardened. They move towards unbelief. So what's the fruit of those kind of hearts? What I'm asking is, what does that look like? What is a heart hardening and churning towards unbelief? What does that look like? Consistently, we see some of the same sins in the Israelites time and time again throughout Scripture. Sins that we might be tempted to think are small or unimportant sins. You might write it off and say, oh, okay, well, I mean, it's just a little grumbling, complaining, negativity, quarreling, and bickering. But those sins are the fruit of a heart that's growing hard. And their hearts continue to harden and they walk into disobedience. They begin to hold God and those who trust in God in contempt. Do you notice these sins in your life? Are you becoming more hardened? Or maybe to put it in terms that we're more familiar with today, terms that we use more often, are you becoming cynical? Can I be honest? This is a real concern I have for this church. I get it. Cynicism feels safe. It, it hardens up your heart a little bit. It protects you. you. You don't get caught off guard because you always suspect the worst. 
It feels wise. It feels like you see through all the fakeness. But this is never the way we ever see in Scripture. See, cynicism is an intentional hardening of the heart. It feels like you're protecting yourself from being hurt, but in reality what you're doing is you are stopping and preventing yourself from loving God and loving others. Does that sound like an overstatement? It's not obvious either. See, see, it would be great if it was obvious, right? Heart of unbelief, you, uh, you turn into an arson. Great. Once you start burning down buildings, we know. But it's deceitful. It's subtle. It slides and creeps into your heart and in your friend group and into churches. Look at verse 13. It says that you can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's why it's so important that we take care right now. That we examine our hearts. What is the fruit of cynicism that you've allowed to creep in your heart? You see through fake Christian culture? Great. It's, it's there. There are things about the American Christian culture? Yeah. They're wrong. There's fakeness there. Congrats. You suspect everyone around you is faking? Wonderful. You hear someone talk about the wonderful things God is doing in their life right now, and the first thought comes to mind is, I'll believe it when I see it? Or you hear a sermon like this, and instead of hearing the Holy Spirit, you're just stuck thinking, man, Shane is probably such a, such a sinner. He's probably fake. You know, you don't need to be cynical to know that. You can ask me. I'm a sinner, and I am desperately in need of grace. And I need you. I want you in my life. I need your help. I want to I walk through this life with you. I, I want to preach a sermon here and walk away and not talk to you. I want to walk to the Lord with you. I want to get before our Lord one day and see him face to face where my faith will become sight. And I want to know just to my right and my left are the people here. That we're going to make it together. I need you in my life, brothers and sisters. And when we give in the cynicism, we create distance from one another. I want to make it to the end with you. I want people in my life who love me, but love Jesus even more. All these verses are addressed to a community. We need, we need to exhort one another daily. That's how serious and at risk we are of unbelief. It's not meant to be taken lightly. So let's take an audit of the air we breathe. What is your community like this morning? What are your friendships like? Do you spend most of your time together sarcastically? Do we gather just to enjoy wonderful things that we should thank the Lord for, like entertainment, 
but don't ever really bring up our faith at all? Do we feign vulnerability, but don't really make ourselves vulnerable to other people? Are all the best relationships, the closest people in your life, is that in your past, and, and, and you don't have anyone like that now? And it might be that you're yearning for it. And, and brother and sister, I, I want you to find it. I think a lot of us have given up on it. Do you often talk about what you don't like in church or with Christians or, or your leaders? I want to let you know, I, I invite you to tell me everything I'm doing wrong. I might regret that. but I really want to know. I don't want you to say it in some closed room with other people and me not there. It's not a gotcha moment. I, I really want to know. Sometimes we can talk on and on about what other people are doing wrong and, and we, can, we can go on and on about what they should be doing and, and what we know is right and, and we can grow as a group of friends or, or a community and say, yes, we have all the answers and then we can go home and do nothing about it. Church, how can we talk about what other people are doing wrong and not pray for them? How can we not go to them? Or we can gather in our communities and we can just talk about strong opinions we have about cultural issues or the Word of God. And we can talk even confidently about the Word of God. And yet we know full well it's been so long since we've warmed our hearts by God's Scripture. Brothers and sisters, wake up. Wake up. Let's be a people who have soft hearts. Let's go to God's word. Let's warm it together. Let's gather together as groups of friends, looking each other in eyes and saying, you are immortal. You have an eternal destination. It's either in the glory of God face to face or it's separated from him for eternity. And take each other seriously. That you are looking in the face of someone with great dignity. Someone who matters. That's the kind of community I want. That we laugh together? Yeah. We have fun together? Yes. We enjoy things together. But, but you can read the word of God together and watch a movie in the same night. There's no rule. I checked. You can, you, can, you can gather with your friends. You can go out to a restaurant and you could go out to the parking lot and you can pray. Not because you have a list of things you have to do to be Christian enough, but because you want the Lord and you want your friends to get there too. What is the air you're breathing today? Is your friend group hardening your heart or is it softening it? Now, if it is, if it's hardening your heart, the world's wisdom to you this morning would be to cut out those people because they are toxic. God's wisdom would be to go to them. Repent. Repent from your unfaithfulness and invite them into faith. Like Joshua and Caleb. They had faith. No one else did. They went to everyone and they pleaded with them. Believe. And let's walk this out together. Church, 
Maybe we need to go to our friends and we have to have a hard conversation. And maybe we need to recommit our love to them. I want to leave you with three short exhortations and then I think God is calling us as a church to a time of response. First exhortation, church, soften your heart. Maybe your heart has been hardened and you are growing in unbelief. Maybe you know you used to have a passionate love for God and others, but now find it hard to even look to God. Brother and sisters, if at any point in this sermon you feel a stirring in your heart, I believe the Lord is talking to you. And maybe, maybe it feels weak. Maybe, maybe you feel burdened and overwhelmed. Maybe you feel like, yeah, like I want God, but, but I want more than what I have right now. It just feels so distant. It doesn't feel the way it used to be. As I cried out, wake up, church, you, you had a suspicion that maybe God was talking to you. If that's even faint in your heart, this passage says this. The Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So I'm pleading with you, do not harden your heart. How do we soften our hearts? Allow yourself to feel the urgency. It's okay. It's okay to allow a moment and say, I need him. I need God. I need faith. I need an intervention. I need something today. Everything is not all right with me. I need a softening of my heart. Don't ignore the voice of God. Respond to him. Cry out. Plead with God for a change. Tell those around you this morning, don't bury it. Have a desperation for God that just pours out of you. Because the Holy Spirit today is talking to you. Two, soften the hearts of others. Brothers and sisters, this life can be hard. Our hearts get hardened. It says every day, as long as it's called today, exhort one another. This isn't going to be easy. So everyone around you needs your help. Soften one another's hearts. You are called to have a concern for the hardening of the hearts of the people around you. That means we need to speak up. We don't just watch it happen. We have to say something. We have to encourage them, exhort them. We have to put our arm around them. And we shouldn't just do it one time. We should do it day after day. Brother, sister, I'm going to be here with you. Let's go to the Lord together. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Sometimes we need to encourage. Sometimes we need to admonish. Sometimes that means painful and hard conversations with friends or whole friend groups or, or an individual. It might mean change needs to happen. That you need to bring them together and let them know that you love them so much and you love Jesus even more. Tell them the longing in your heart and be vulnerable and soft-hearted. And lastly, church, let us persevere to the end. When speaking of our faith, let it not just be distant stories of old in our past. Let's believe in the God who provides, preserves, sustains, and loves us today. 
When our circumstances are not good, let's not hold God into contempt. Let's not forget his faithfulness. Let's not turn away from him. But let us press further in with faith. Would the latter years of our lives be filled with greater stories of faith in God and his promises than our earlier years? Wake up, brothers and sisters. Wake up. Let us believe with soft, faith-filled hearts. Arise, O sleeper. Rise from the grave. Let Christ shine on you. Church, I ask that we reflect in our hearts. Reflect on your heart. What is the state of it today? Reflect on your relationships. Is the air you're breathing as a community hardening or softening your heart? Are you believing or are you moving towards unbelief?